0: Hello and welcome to Watch It Baptist Church Online. It's great to have you with us here, uh, to be part of gathering together and looking at uh, a subject again, uh, picking up from some of the ones that we've looked at recently. We're in our fourth part in this series called Being Church. We're gonna be looking uh, this time round at a passage from one, Thessalonians chapter five. And if you're somebody who'd like to follow that in your own Bible, you might wanna be grabbing that now. Um, so we're looking at that. Uh, And also a little bit at Psalm 131, which we'll come to a bit later on. I'm not intending to talk for a lot of time. I've said that sometimes and then run on anyway, but hopefully uh, this time we can stick with the plan. Part four of Being Church is about prayer. And in lots of ways, I'd rather if there was time to be spent, that it was spent on doing the praying as well as talking about it. So I'm going to pray and then we're going to have a look at the passage and then we're going to have a bit of a talk about it too. Let's pray. Father would you bring your Holy Spirit to us, pour out your Holy Spirit on us, inspire and guide us as we consider this subject of prayer and how that fits in or contributes to us being church together. Lord we ask that you give us Uh, ready minds that we'd be okay being challenged okay thinking in new ways and okay to challenge some of our assumptions too amen okay so we're reading from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 I'm going to read verses 12 to 24 and they go like this now we ask you brothers and sisters to respect those who work hard among you who are over you in the Lord and who admonish you Hold them in the highest regard in love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. And we urge you, brothers and sisters, to warn those who are idle. Encourage the timid. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong. But always try to be kind to each other and to everyone else. Be joyful always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not put out the Spirit's fire. Do not treat prophecies with contempt. Test everything. Hold on to the good. Avoid every kind of evil. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful. And he will do it. I love Paul's writing. I particularly love his continuing commitment, like a lot of the New Testament letter writers, uh, to the community of disciples and the way that they interact with each other. The principles by which community is built. Sometimes we take some of those things for granted. We Kind of know how communities are supposed to work and so these instructions don't come as a surprise and maybe we don't notice them so much but for Paul keeping on coming back to these principles is a way of saying to that community listen whatever the world is going to do however the world treats each other however fickle the people around you will be as disciples as as fellow followers of Jesus there's a way of doing community that ought to be a priority and it has more to do with what you have in common in Jesus then it has to do with how you differ and among the things he calls this church in Thessalonica to do is to pray now, they, famously one of the shortest verses in the Bible is this verse 17 here where it says pray without ceasing or pray continually I think we need to be aware that Paul And it probably seems obvious, but Paul isn't calling us to be hands together and eyes closed as we walk down the street, hoping that God won't stop us falling over the curb on the way or stepping into puddles. It's not that kind of continually. It is a kind of saying prayer and your relationship, your conversation with Jesus should be a hallmark of your day to day life. It should be an integral part of how you go about being yourself. And I wanted to think a little bit more about how this prayer works bearing in mind, as we do, that prayer is a contextualised instruction in this passage. So, as Paul goes about saying, respect those who admonish you, who who look after you, who are uh, in positions of authority and are hardworking among you. As you go about respecting them and as you treat each other well, prayer is going to be a part of how all that is glued together. And I want to say that praying is a bit like throwing and catching a ball. Now, throwing and catching is not a single thing. At least in my head it's not. Maybe that's because I like sports quite a lot and so I'm looking at different sports and the way in which they go about throwing and catching. So throwing in tennis is about lobbing that ball up and then hitting it with a racket. That's not quite the same as cricket where the catching of the ball is part of how the game progresses. So either you're stopping the ball reaching the boundary, or you're getting somebody out, um, or the ball's past the bats from the bowler and it's being picked up by the wicket-keeper, uh, usually with a thud as the fast bowler has has pushed it through at something approaching 90 miles an hour. You get different kinds of catching as well. In in American football, in the NFL, you get quite a lot of over-the-shoulder catches and the ball's a different shape. It's designed to be carried as much as it is to be kicked. So throwing and catching varies in different kind of sporting environments, but you also get throwing and catching with different things that aren't balls. I'm quite like, not necessarily very good at, but I quite like throwing and catching a frisbee. And that's a completely different kind of throwing and catching again. And then you get the kind of throwing and catching um, that you might do uh, if you're out walking a dog. You probably won't do so much of the catching yourself, but you'll be throwing the ball or the stick and it'll be caught by the by the dog and brought back to you. It's very much a, 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 a sort of team activity. And then you've got um, uh, netballers who need to sometimes catch the ball while making sure they don't um, move. So you have to you can't travel with the ball in netball. So you have to catch it and then keep your feet still or stay in the court after you've caught it. You've got slip catches in cricket where the balls come off the bat and so it's changed direction and you need to be a, a sort of Alerts for how it's moving and your reflexes need to be really good. And then at the other end end of that spectrum, you've got throwing and catching like you do with a toddler. So I remember when my children were much smaller, I'm very keen for them to learn to catch, that sometimes throwing them the ball and letting them catch it was about throwing them the ball in a situation where they could hardly do anything but catch it. Um, And it would land in their lap or, or something like that. It's a very different kind of throwing and catching. And as children get more confident throwing and catching, you're going to move into the gentle throw underarm that's easy for um, the child to to watch and and to get their hands around And Sometimes they'll catch it with their arms or just by pressing their arms against their body or whatever it might be. See what I mean? Throwing and catching is is an enormously varied thing. The reason I draw attention to that is because I think prayer is as enormously varied as throwing and catching is so there are similarities i think between the two not only that but i think prayer in a way is actually easier than the easiest of throwing and catching exercises praying is about our relationship with god now i think sometimes when we talk about our relationship with god that can be hard to um, hard to feel that we pin down because god is a big concept and perhaps that's part of the reason why it was important for us that Jesus came in human form so we get to refer to God in human form as Jesus he's a, a person a person that we have read about and whose voice we can kind of hear as his um, as his way of talking and, and teaching and being with people is expressed in the gospel stories in the new testament now our relationship then is with God is perhaps best understood as a relationship with Jesus or perhaps with a father from some of us that'll be tricky because relationships with fathers can be really quite difficult they carry quite a lot of baggage and so sometimes father isn't the easiest concept to engage with but there is something still personal and human and interactive about our relationship with God that sometimes the word God doesn't always help us with. In prayer we have conversation we have dialogue with God and it's much more important when we think about this to think in terms of something that's got relational integrity and depth if we fall back on that concept of God as sort of cosmic headmaster or or bank manager or whatever it might be then we're unlikely to get hold of the idea of somebody who wants to have a relationship with us that's personal and that involves our everyday life um, someone for whom prayer will be about dialogue more than about uh, uh, um, somebody who we simply go and ask to do things. I am absolutely confident that our Father loves for us to come and ask, and actually encourages us to do so. I would want to add to that that our relationship with Him is not just about Him being a provider; it's also about Him being somebody who walks with us through day to day life. He is provider. He's also companion. I read a little while ago that that sometimes our our concept of friendship with God is overplayed. And I I can understand where the writer was coming from with that. But I I do come back to Jesus talking in John's Gospel where he says, uh, I no longer call you servants, I call you friends, because a servant doesn't know his master's business. But you do. There is a friendship that we're invited to have, the closeness of relationship is expressed well in those kinds of terms anyway prayer being like throwing and catching when you throw to a, a, a toddler or even a baby who's not walking yet and they're just um, sat maybe propped up somewhere and you throw it and land in their lap that's a catch it's a catch that has very little to do with the toddler's or the baby's ability to actually grasp something or contribute to it but it's still a catch. When an American footballer dives headlong um, in pursuit of, of the throw from the quarterback that's gone way over his head and he's just hurling himself at this thing in the hope that he will cling on to it, almost unable to see whether it's going to work out or not, and somehow it sticks, that's a catch. However much it might seem impossible or however unlikely that catch seems, seem to have been. Uh, last summer I was wandering round the edge of a cricket ground where my son was playing um, and I got round to the, the part of the ground where it was right in front, well, right behind where he was fielding so he's fielding in front of me uh, and the ball came off the bat and, and he absolutely sprung himself sideways to his right and stuck out a hand and, and the ball stuck in it and some folks there said it was the best catch they'd seen all season or for several seasons He still says, my son still says, I can't quite believe that I caught that, but it was still a catch. Whether the catch is um, involuntary, whether it's a reflex, whether it's the toddler unable to do anything but catch it, whether it's something that you've um, strained for and leapt for, all of those things are catches. In the same way, anything that we do that deliberately engages with God, with Jesus, is prayer, all of it. And you know what's more exciting in its way and more reassuring as well is that um, if what we're trying to do in engaging with God doesn't feel like it's worked, where it feels like we tried to catch the ball but we dropped it, that still counts as prayer. There is no form of addressing God or engaging with God or intending to be with God that fails none of it can fail any intention to engage with God is prayer and counts as prayer and if you want to speak of it in those terms it's a success or a win when it comes to praying we cannot fail at prayer if that's what we are intending to do in any form not all catches will be spectacular but every catch is a catch not all catches will be on purpose, but every catch is a catch. Not all prayer is said at the right time, in the right way, under the right circumstances, at the right time. They all still count. I feel like I've laboured that point a little bit, but the thing I want to sort of follow on from with that is is a quote from... Uh, emily griffin who's an american author on prayer and she writes this to pray means to be willing to be naive to pray means to be willing to be naive the minute that we started thinking that we are somehow enough or smart enough or have the right words it almost isn't prayer anymore it's become something about our ability to do it rather than the relationship that it signifies Or the one who is listening? In fact, when we pray, we admit just by doing it that we don't have control. That's part of where this naivety comes through. Most of the time, prayer will be very, very simple. And that's entirely appropriate. Because next to God, all we can do is be simple. Be straightforwardly honest about who we are and and where we are. And that's where prayer starts and ends. Where we are and who we are. I want to give you four quick examples from scripture of how that kind of prayer works. In 1 Kings 3, the young King Solomon asks for wisdom. God comes to him and says, so what do you want? You're king. What are you going to go for? And he says, wisdom's what I'm after. Let's skip to Psalm 22. And in crisis, this psalmist um Is is in desperation and and is low on hope, low on everything. So low, in fact, and so desperate that these words in Psalm twenty two are then echoed or, or borrowed by Jesus on the cross, and he says, "My God, my God, why have you forsaken me?" Psalm twenty two verse one. That's example two. Example three: on the road to Damascus, Paul asks. What shall I do, Lord? And this isn't a well-structured, organised prayer. This is terrified in the middle of a life-changing situation that he didn't know was coming. Acts 22, verse 10. What shall I do, Lord? Paul asks. And then Jesus, uh, in the garden before he is arrested, uh, this is in Mark 14, 36, I've got this one, uh, something like it appears in other Gospels. But Jesus says, Abba, Father everything is possible for you, take this cup from me, yet not what I will but what you will. Notice in all four of those situations there is a simplicity and immediacy in what's happening, they are prayers based on the reality of a here and now situation and some of them, well one of them at least, Jesus' one, kind of contradicts itself because of that honesty it's also a prayer in which jesus shows us the importance of that relationship so he says abba which is um a word for father but it's a word that conveys familiarity it's um still kind of proper title but much more um familiar and informal so he he puts that phraseology into his prayer you're you're my father who i know you're my father who I'm familiar with, who I can talk to. Everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. And cup in this instance uh, is a word for destiny. Uh, it's a familiar concept in Jewish thinking. A cup will be a word that, that means sort of what's what's to come. Um, and then he says, but, but actually not. If that's what you need, I will do that. So there's a rawness in the emotion of that prayer. So the, the immediacy, the here and nowness of those, um, Is incredibly evident. And and although I picked out those four examples, that kind of way of praying is very evident in other situations. So Joseph does it and Joshua does it. Um, Hannah does it at the beginning of 1 Samuel. Gideon prays like that too. Ruth prays in that way. Uh, And she wasn't from the nation of Israel at all. Peter prays in those kinds of terms and John does and James does. There is a real who I am and where I am and what I feel and what I think I am going to be or where my situation has left me and there is no pretense in that there's no I think possibly I might need to come across this way instead it's well this is God so the best I can do is just be me I said we'd look at Psalm 131 at this point I want to do that Uh, I'm just going to read um, from that Psalm here it says Lord my heart is not proud I don't look down on others, I don't do great things and I can't do miracles but I am calm and quiet. I am like a baby with its mother. I'm at peace like a baby with its mother. People of Israel put your hope in the Lord now and forever. There is in those verses a simple humility, a simpleness just complete. Um, lack of pretense as an honesty and, and an acknowledgement that God can absolutely be trusted and it's through those things that that psalmist uh, from Psalm 131 can be as still and peaceful as they are like a baby with its mother so we need to challenge some wrong ideas because we shouldn't ever think there's a situation in which God cannot bless us The only place that God can bless us is where we are. C.S. Lewis, the Narnia author, um, very, very popular to quote C.S. Lewis in churches. But anyway, he says this, um, we should lay before God what is in us, not what ought to be in us. The only person we're lying to ourselves when we try to present something other than our reality, the only person we're lying to is uh, is us. You can't lie to God. He sees right through it. So, the minute we're pretending or or trying to be the person we think we ought to be in front of God um, then we're not doing ourselves any favours we're not actually praying from where we are we're praying from where we might be and that means that God can't bless us because he can't bless us where we might be he can only bless us where we are so honesty is key that means being honest not just about who we are but also what our situation is particularly in terms of prayer I know that at times I feel more self-conscious about praying if I don't feel I have been doing it enough. A kind of a, well, I've not prayed so much lately, God, so this probably means you're not going to be taking this prayer seriously because I haven't earned uh, the right to talk to you by talking to you. Um, This isn't how God works. If you have any um, awareness of how grace is, you'll recognise that grace is about God giving us things we don't deserve. So if grace is at work in prayer and God is a God of grace, then God is always ready to hear from us regardless of whether we feel we have earned it or not. He just simply wants to hear from us all the time. And that means that if we haven't prayed for a long time or we don't pray so frequently, if we then suddenly try to go into a a half hour hour of, of focused, dedicated prayer, we may well find that quite hard and therefore find it quite discouraging or dispiriting because we're not used to it and and finding it difficult might make us feel bad. Richard Foster who wrote a lot on prayer wrote this occasional joggers shouldn't run marathons and he said that about prayer. Occasional joggers shouldn't run marathons. We are to be kind to ourselves in how we set about praying because we need to be able to be ourselves not just in what we say but also how we go about this. If you're somebody who who aspires to has an ambition you want to be able to someone who can pray for an hour at a time brilliant I think that's a, a great thing to to want to do but don't go from praying for five minutes to praying for an hour go from praying for five minutes to praying for 10 minutes and and allow yourself to get into a rhythm with that where you and God both know what to expect from your 10 minutes given to him in prayer you wouldn't just to go back to that catching analogy if you were just starting to throw catches for a toddler you wouldn't then say to them go along send them 30 yards down the way and throw a cricket ball for them to catch it wouldn't be appropriate and somebody's going to get hurt well, there's a good chance of it can you see what i mean you, you, you don't leap suddenly from one thing to a to a much sort of more advanced thing or a trickier thing or a harder work thing and god isn't asking us to do that we can't we can't make god go oh wow aren't you amazing because he thinks that about us anyway he's not going to suddenly find us more amazing because we've done ourselves a mischief trying to pray for an hour at a time and feeling dispirited and frustrated by it when we're usually used to praying for a minute or half a minute let's just be ourselves with god after all psalm 131 says i don't look down on others i don't do great things and i can't do miracles but i can be calm and quiet with god So if you're new or occasional at prayer, don't dive in the deep end. It's not good to suddenly try to pray for hours. At, you know, at least you'll get tired. <laughs> you may well get disappointed too. Um, oh, no, put it this way, if you're somebody who's used to eating light meals and snacks and somebody gives you a nine-course banquet, you're going to struggle to get through that on you. Finally, <clears throat> I want to say that prayer doesn't need qualifications i'm going to talk about this in a couple of different ways Um, god wants a relationship with us and prayer is part of how that relationship functions it's simply uh, as much uh, it's simply the same as saying if you want to build a friendship with somebody you talk to them and if you're not talking to them it's less likely that relationship will develop prayer comes out of that relationship luke 11 11 to 12 says this which of you fathers if your son asks for a fish will give him a snake instead or if he asks for an egg or we'll give him a scorpion our father in heaven is good that's what Jesus is saying which of you fathers if your son asked for a fish will give him a snake you know how to be good you know how to give your son a fish if he asks for a fish you wouldn't give him something horrible in its place and in in those verses Jesus is saying your father your heavenly father cares about you and wants to give you good things and so if we want to pray, God isn't going to put obstacles in our way. And because he's not trying to put obstacles in our way but wants to be good to us, he's not going to insist on qualifications before you pray. So there is no need for special words. There is no requirement for an appropriate uh, ecclesiastical or biblical grammar to use. Uh, at no point does God require a particular sentence structure or any magic words a prayer is a prayer whether you say in Jesus name or not that is not a requirement and neither do you need to call God Jesus every time or need to refer to him as father every time there is an invitation to relationship and that is important but there is no magic words needed and there is no rejection of your prayer if you don't use the right words if all of the words that you use for your prayer can be found in a children's picture book it doesn't matter simple prayer comes from your heart it says what you think it expresses to a father who loves you something that matters to you he is by his nature going to care 1 Thessalonians 5 16 to 18 says this rejoice always pray continually give thanks in all circumstances for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus the door is always open for prayer be confident with him he is trustworthy so you can rejoice always you can be yourself with the father so you can pray continually you can be content with him like that toddler uh, baby from Psalm 131 so give thanks in all circumstances the father longs for you to talk with him to to bring yourself to him and all the raw emotions of whatever your now might be in all the complications of day-to-day life in the joy of whatever it is that's joyful of this moment, in the excitement of your situation, in the bleakness and uncertainty that you're facing. Be you. Be you with him. And let him be himself with you. That is prayer. I'm going to pray and I'm going to read a poem uh, called That Child. um, And then we're going to have a look at some questions that we might ask. Let's pray. Father God, we give you thanks that you are always available, that you don't need us to qualify or be special or different or clever to approach you. We thank you that we don't need to impress anyone around us in order to pray. And we thank you that those who care about us will be ready to share our prayers no matter what language they come from, no matter how stuttering or halting they are. Amen. This poem is called That Child. How would you like to be that child? The one Jesus brought in beside him, the one in Luke 9. How would you like to be stood among the adults, all sheepish and unsure? How would you like to be the example, the one the grown ups look at and Jesus says, Be like this? How would you like to be that child? The one at peace with the Father, the one in Psalm 131. How would you like to be still and calm like a toddler in her mother's arms? How would you like to be the example, the one the people of God look at as the model of trust in the Lord? How would you like to be that child, the one turned away by Jesus' friends? One of those in Mark 10. How would you like to be held while your parents are told to push off? The master has more important things. The master wants you to be quiet. The master is busy and you don't matter. How would you like to be welcomed, drawn in and embraced, accepted and blessed? How would you like to receive the kingdom? How would you like to be that child? restored the girl in Luke 8, renewed the boy in Luke 9, healed the girl in Mark 7, touched by Jesus with or without his presence, made whole by the faith of others, blessed by the power of the King. How would you like to be that child, the one angry at the redemption of others? The one whose goodness and righteousness gives them rights. The one who deserves to be blessed. The one in Luke 15 whose little brother has come home. The one who whines at the injustice of his father's mercy. Complaining, bickering, snide and angry, accusing and bitter. How would you like to be that child? The one whose arrival is celebrated, who is waited on, made alive embraced? How would you like to be child of the Father of grace? Okay, we're going to ask three questions uh, as we reflect on Uh, this passage and what we've been learning from it. Question one is this, what is it that makes you hesitant about praying when you're with others? Now I want to be really clear, I'm not somebody who likes putting pressure on people to do particular things in particular ways. It doesn't suit my personality, it doesn't suit my life experience. But I'm also very aware that many of us who follow Jesus find it difficult to pray when we're with other people. And I think it's important that we reflect on that and find out what it is that gets in the way. Some of us who have been praying aloud or leading prayers for a long time still struggle with this, find it difficult, maybe not all the time, but certainly at times, to be the one who's providing that leadership in prayer. So the question is, What are the things that make you hesitant about praying with others? Question two is also a question about hesitation or reservations, but this one is about your own prayer. So, question two is this, what makes you feel that you can't speak to God? What makes you feel that you can't speak to God? Are there ways of your being situations that you find yourselves in things that you've done or ways in which that you've been thinking that mean that you feel God doesn't want to hear from you or that you don't feel qualified to approach him it's important that we recognize that that's the reality for us that there are things that hold us back that that keep us from approaching God but that we also recognize those come from within they don't come from God they come from within us we don't need to qualify to speak to God we don't need to already be pure then what is it that stops us? And we know we don't need to be pure because we know that we come to God in confession and pray our apology to him. So when we approach him in that way, we're we're recognising that we're already not clean. So we know we can approach him. But what are the things that stop you approaching him? Just in the quietness of your own um, circumstances, wherever you might happen to be at the time, maybe at the end of the day when you Uh, lie in bed and you think I'm going to bring part of my day to God or I'm going to recognize that God is present and then you think well I'm I'm not sure I can do that now what are the things that are most likely to make you feel that you can't pray question three what would you find encouraging to build up your prayer life what is it that would make you feel more confident about prayer what could people around you do, other disciples, to help you think? Well, I can do this. I I can pray. I can, I can bring something simple to God. I can, um, whatever it might be. How what things would build you up and make you feel that prayer was easier or, or more doable or more accessible to you? And share those things with the disciples around you who you trust, so that you might um, you might ask them to support you in your prayer life. That's the end of our time together, and I'm just going to finish it in prayer. Lord Jesus, we thank you that nothing stops us approaching you, that your Father is always available to us and that you are too, that the Holy Spirit will always stand with us whatever form our prayer takes, whether it's one or two words, whether it's a longer chat. Thank you that you have made yourself accessible to us all the time. Help us to take that chance and encourage each other in it too. Amen. Thank you for being with us and we'll see you soon. Take care.